Hey, it's Mike Halford from the Halford and Bruff Podcast. One, thanks for downloading. Two, thanks for listening. Three, why not leave a review while you listen to the podcast? And now, back to the show. Good morning, Vancouver 601 on a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. Happy NFL kickoff day, everybody. You are listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. I am Mike Halford. He is Jason Bruff. Good morning, Jason. Good morning. Uh, basketball Ben on the ones and twos. Good morning, Basketball Ben. Hello. Good morning. A-Dog is here as well. Good morning, Andy Cole. How are you? I'm very well. How are you, sir? Uh, I am excited. It is NFL kickoff day. I'm happy that we are now into football season. I'm happy to be here. Sort of. Halford and Bruff in the morning is brought to you by it Avenue, is still early. <laughs> Avenue Machinery. Build your company to win with Kubota from Avenue Machinery. We are also brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Experience the Delari difference today by visiting your nearest Delari Acura dealer today. Finally, uh, Concerts West presents, you know where I'm going with this, Pink Floyd's Roger Waters Live, September 15th at Rogers Arena. Get your tickets now at Rogers website, not Rogers Arena website, Roger Waters' website, rogerwaters.com. Business done, taken care of. So it is the kickoff day, kickoff night more specifically for the NFL this evening. It is the Bills, it is the Rams, it is Thursday Night Football. Uh, we are going to just kind of randomly throw out our guest today. I mentioned the Bills. At 7 o'clock, Mike Shope, who we've had on the show before from WGR in Buffalo. So we were thinking we'd either do an NFL generalist and look at the entire start of the season. But we've got another day. We've got Friday to do that as yeah. well. I thought we should focus on Buffalo a little bit here because the Bills have entered a season as the Super Bowl betting favorites for the first time since the early 90s, which is when they had the infamous four falls of Buffalo. And wait, did they get it done? They did not. They did not Spoiler, if I'm going to ruin the 30 for 30 for you, Mm -hmm. four falls of Buffalo, they don't win the Super Bowl in all four. They might be my adopted team this year. I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about it. I don't love adopted teams as a concept. However, Mm -hmm. I always find myself kind of falling in love. I might do it with the Bills this year. I think uh, Buffalo has a has a kinship with Vancouver as a sports city. Good point. Uh, Sabres and the Canucks came into the NHL the same year. Uh, neither has won a Stanley Cup. Uh, both are uh, sports cities that have had some pain mm-hmm. and not a lot of pleasure. No, uh, not so much on the pleasure. And I, I just really like Josh Allen. I always have. Since I like he, since yeah. he came into the league, um, even before he turned into the player that he is now. Or don't forget, I mean, he spent a few years in the NFL where people weren't sure about the guy. The big guy from Wyoming. Yeah. Um, I just like the way he plays. Um, I would like to see the Bills win a Super Bowl, and I'm fairly confident that my cheering for the Bills wouldn't affect, like, the Seahawks' ability right. to win the Super Bowl. Do you know what I mean? Yeah, like, yeah I like get it's, it. It's not like I uh, like – Oh, what if I cheer for the Bills and the Bills and the Seahawks meet in the Super Bowl? Like, I'd be screwed then. It's not like you adopted an NFC West team as your second team, right? This is about as far removed as possible. Geographically, too. Yeah. Buffalo's far away. It's kind of in the middle of nowhere. We've been there. It is in the middle of nowhere. And I'd like to cheer for at least one team because I'm almost going to be cheering against the Seahawks this year. Sure. I don't want them to win like seven games and then not have their pick of the quarterbacks in the draft. Mm-hmm. I want them to win one game on Monday night and then lose a bunch of games so that they they have a good draft position. Speaking of those Seahawks, and we will get to this later in the show, and we're going to try and get Brady Henderson on the show tomorrow for his usual Friday hit. Brady did an awesome piece for ESPN. We about- should have him on Monday, not not, uh, uh, not Friday. Let's let's okay. let's well, book, either, let's book we usually Brady have him on Monday. Friday. Yeah, we usually have him on Friday. 
But um, point being, he had a terrific piece on ESPN about the divorce between Russell Wilson and Pete Carroll and John Schneider and the Seattle Seahawks. It was fascinating long-form piece. He talked to a bunch of different people within the organization. It was just really intriguing to see all the stuff that was playing out behind the scenes. Anyway, that's tomorrow or maybe Monday's guest list. Mike Shope. WGR Buffalo at 7, 6.30. So in about 25 minutes' time, we're going to go to Ottawa. Ian Mendez is going to join us. Uh, Ottawa loves handing out those contracts to those young guys, I tell you. If you're a young hockey player with some potential, go to Ottawa, young man. You will get paid. It was Tim Stutzle yesterday that was getting a payday. Securing the bag, as the kids say. Kind of reminds me of what Florida did a bunch of years ago when they locked up, like, all their young players. Right, which is how they ended up with Barkov on such a great deal, right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, Now, not all of them panned out, and they actually, do you remember, like, Riley Smith was one of them. Right. Right? And then then they just kind of let them fly free. There was a a bunch of them that they locked up, and people were like, oh, they're going to be locked and loaded, and they still haven't come through. But um, interesting what Ottawa's doing. Um, Probably the most excitement for the Senators since... I don't know, since they, they well, did they go to the semifinals? 2017. Yeah. One, right. uh, that Chris Kunitz goal away from going to the Stanley Cup final. Right. That was the Eric Carlson show. That, that. So we're going to talk to Ian at 6.30. 7.30, Ben Nicholson-Smith, uh, Sportsnet Blue Jays analyst. Big win for the Blue Jays last night. Alec Manoa getting the victory. Big win in the series period for the Jays. You can't start saying the P word yet with confidence. You can say it with some confidence, but they've got a four and a half game lead now on Baltimore for that final wild card spot to make the playoffs. And I think if you look at this now, that was a statement series because they've got a bunch of games left against Baltimore and they handled them pretty well in that series. Gossman started the series was awesome on the bump and then Manoa closed it yesterday. So we'll talk to Ben Nicholson Smith at seven 30 about that eight o'clock Brandon bachelor play by play voice of the Vancouver Canucks will be joining us. Uh, right here on Sportsnet 650. We can talk about everything that's happened this week. We can go back over the JT Miller extension, what Patrick Alvin had to say. Batch was in attendance at Scotia Barn earlier in the week, getting audio, collecting audio from Alvin. So we can talk to Batch about all that. Uh, of course, what's happening tonight? Bills, Rams, 520 on Thursday Night Football. Uh, I did not realize this, but Canada, the plucky Canadian basketball team, is in the quarterfinals of the America's Cup. The AmeriCup, it's actually called. Oh, good for us. Yeah. I was like, the America's Cup, are they? So the are, roster are, are is they sailing? No, it, that's what I thought. I'm like, <laughs> was there a boating component to this basketball <laughs> match? Uh, this is like Canada's C team. Mm-hmm. They have one player with NBA experience, Delano Blanton. Okay. And then I just noticed that it was on tonight. So go Canada. Go Canada basketball. You also got the U.S. Open semifinals. If you missed it last night, the quarterfinals went until about five in the morning. So actually, it just ended about five minutes ago. I watched a bit of it, but then I was like, I got to go to bed. They did. I'm not joking. The uh, Alcaraz Sinner match went till 2.50 in the morning, Eastern time. Yeah. That is a Almost ridiculous. midnight Pacific time. Yeah. It set a record for the latest ever finish at the U.S. Open. So we'll talk about that now. And we told everybody what's happening. Uh, boys, let's tell everybody what happened. Hey, did you guys see the game last night? No. Oh, what happened? I missed all the action because I was... We know how busy your life can be. What happened? You missed that? What happened? Rare is it that the Halford and Bruff show leads off with tennis? Yeah, tennis. U.S. Open men's quarterfinals last night. As Jason mentioned, he couldn't even stay up this late. 11.50 Pacific, 2.50 in the morning, 
Eastern. And that is when Carlos Alcaraz defeated Yannick Sinner in a five-set thriller. So we bring this up not just because of the uniqueness of the match. Like, this is the latest ever finish in U.S. Open history. I can't even imagine being at a sporting event until 3 o'clock in the morning. It seems like such a commitment. But the I'm, fans were so into it. Right. It was terrific tennis. Uh, again, I only watched a few of the sets. Um, but the the it wasn't just... Uh, you know, big serve tennis. It was like almost the opposite of that. It was a lot of baseline winners, mm-hmm. just quality, quality tennis. Um, I know that Carlos Alcaraz isn't a, a household name. Uh, he's only 19 years old. He might be a household name soon. He might though. be a household name. I think tennis is in this spot now, and we've discussed it a few times this week, where it's looking for the next one. And there is always the risk of crowning these guys before they've actually done anything. Alcaraz has not won a major or a grand slam, whatever you want to call it. I don't think, I think this is the furthest he's been in a grand slam tournament to the semifinals. Um, He's going to play a guy in the semifinals by the name of Francis Tiafo, who could become a household name as well. He's 24. So a few years older than Alcaraz, but tennis is in this position right now where it's looking for the next one. And it'll be looking to crown the next one almost before it's done. Mm Kind of like golf did, right? Like Rory McIlroy was supposed to be the next one. And he's been great. Don't get me wrong. Like he's going to be in the World Golf Hall of Fame, but Mm -hmm. he certainly isn't going to come close to breaking Jack's major record or Tiger's uh, major total. You know, he hasn't won a major in years now because it's really hard to be a GOAT. Yeah. It's, you know? Well, no, and tennis that, has had three of them in the last little while on the men's side. You, of course, are referring to the greatest of all time, not the barnyard animal. Yeah, out of context, yeah. that's really interesting. Yeah. It is really hard to be a GOAT. It is. Goats what have is, special talents. What does it mean to be a GOAT? You can milk a GOAT, Greg. If you really try. Uh, <laughs> I think the interesting thing here in that semifinal is that uh, Alcaraz is playing Tiafo, and you could make the argument that that is the matchup of the guys that have the best chance to be, quote-unquote, the next one. Now, I don't want to put them in GOAT territory. I think what a lot of people haven't really appreciated is that, and it was funny, I was I mentioned I was watching that uh, Marty Fish documentary, yep. the Andy Roddick one, and they were talking about their careers. And they're like, we were really good tennis players. We just happened to play tennis at the time where the three best players ever were all playing at the mm-hmm. same time. Because you could make the argument, in the history of the sport, one, two, and three of all time, and this includes Connors, McEnroe, Bjorg, everyone else. The three best players in the history of tennis were, in whatever order, Federer, Nadal, Djokovic. Yeah. So, how many majors or Grand Slams have been won by not those guys in the last what? I don't know, fifteen years? Is it? I yeah, don't know, 10 years? It, it's a handful of them, right? I mean, it's, it's not it's, many at yeah, all. Yeah, it's hilarious. So Tiafos, he's obviously playing to the crowd. In New York. He's a, he's a Northeastern guy from Maryland, right? Yeah. So he's got a lot of support at Flushing Meadows. And that crowd, obviously, traditionally, has been dying to see an American player advance. He's the first American male to make it to the semifinal since Andy Roddick did it in 2006. That's so, incredible. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's, that, that is it is, quite, it is quite remarkable because you figure, at the very least... One American male would either get like a favorable draw or yeah. some something would unfold or he'd ride the wave of the crowd like Jimmy Connors did so many years ago and make a run. Right. But it hasn't happened because you always run into one of the big three roadblocks along the way. There's By the you- way, Bruff, to answer your question, the answer is one. Stan Warinka in 2014 
He's yep. the only guy to win a Grand Slam that's not of the yep. three you mentioned in the, last, in the last 15 years. Vavrinka. That, that is incredible. Vavrinka? No, uh, no, 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 no. That can't be right. Because Medvedev won the U.S. Open. I'm just looking year. at Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> Which could be wrong, of course. Is it, it is, is the it internet. Is Stan Vavrinka's Wikipedia? <laughs> no. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, we'll double check that one. We'll conf- we will confirm as we move along here. Uh, we've got hockey to get into. Uh, news from Canada about the World Cup. Russ and the CX. Where do you want to go next? We've got so uh, many options here. The Jays. No, let's go with the uh, the Ottawa Senators locking up Tim Stutzla. Nice to a long term contract. Um, it's a big bet, but it could pay off in a big way if this kid reaches his potential, and if the cap goes up significantly over the next decade. In fact, the Sens could be really. I mean, look at all the guys that they've got locked up long-term. Uh, they got Brady Kachuk. They got Josh Norris. They got Drake Batherson. 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 And now Stutzla uh, on defense. They got Thomas Shabbat. Uh, the defense needs work, and it's going to change a bunch over the next little while. Oh, they got they Travis got, Hamannick. So. Yeah, yep, they do have Travis Hamannick. Uh, they need some work there. Uh, but again, this reminds me of what Florida did. Uh, a few years ago, actually, it's quite a few years ago now, when they, they had a bunch of guys locked up, including Barkov and, and later Ekblad, and um, Hubert O was one of them. Yep. Um, now, it didn't pan out for them, um, but the bet that Ottawa is making is that these young guys um, are all going to keep progressing. They're going to turn into good hockey players. They already are good hockey players. Like a guy like Tim Stutzla, if he can become, you know, a a 1C or a 2C, um, a legit player, and he already is. Like he's a good player. Don't get me wrong. But all these guys have have room to grow. Mm -hmm. Uh, The the Sens are going to be, in four or five years, they're going to have this roster with these guys on salaries that are going to look like absolute bargains. Yeah. And and the comparison to Vancouver would be – Elias Pettersson and what the Canucks did with him, uh, are they going to regret not being able to, not having the cap space, lock up Petey long-term when they did? Because Petey's contract, if he plays well, and we all want him to play well, right? Like sure. We all want him to turn into the player that we think we ha- he has the potential to be. The comparisons have been Datsuk. The comparisons have been these really good two-way players. Um with elite talent on on both sides of the puck, um, he's going to be like, what's Petey going to make? Eleven potentially. Yeah, like Especially if he goes after all up. the mo- if he goes after all the money when the cap goes up, um, he might not be quite the bargain that a guy like Tim Stutzla is. Yeah, it's, it's always the fascinating part of g- gambling on futures, right? With regards to the salary cap and when you're when you decide to invest in a guy. So Stutzla, he's twenty years old. Okay, uh, he had a, a very pedestrian rookie campaign, I'd say, which is fair. He broke in as an 18-year-old, right? It was a very difficult road to hoe for him. But last year, as a 20-year-old, he was a pretty solid player. But still, this is you're talking about investing nearly $70 million over eight years for a guy that his career high in points is 58. So you got to look, and I, don't get me wrong, you got to look at it and you've got to say, okay, well, He's done this at age 20. How do we extrapolate it out? What's he going to look like year over year? At what point does this start to look like a steal for us? Yeah, he's the second leading scorer on a bad team. Right. And, he's being, right. and now he's the highest paid player on the team. Although, Debrinkit might blow that out of the water. We'll see what happens with his contract negotiation. Uh, you mentioned the Florida angled all this. And yeah, they made all those bets on those young guys. 
And I'd say two-thirds of them turned out okay. They got a steal with Barkov for a long time before his contract finally came up. If you look at the Ekblad contract, I think almost every team in the NHL would take him. I think he's at like $7.5 million Yeah, for a number one you know, top-flight defenseman like that. You're pretty happy. I've seen this go the other way. Uh, the one that always sticks out for me is, and in part because Jim Rutherford is here now, is when Jim Rutherford was in Pittsburgh and he doubled, he tripled down on John Marino early. Yeah, and gave him not as big a contract, but uh, for what he was, yeah. which was like a fifth round pick that had never really played that much, and he got his rights traded. And they gave him a lot of money. They gave him a lot of term, and they gave him a lot of money, relatively speaking, in the hopes that okay, in year three or four of this contract, we've got a top four defenseman, maybe mm-hmm. even a top two defenseman. At like four and a half, five million bucks. The other concern when you lock up young players long term is that they lose a bit of motivation. Sure. That's Not fair. all of their motivation, but a bit of it, right? Now, in Florida, I know that argument has been thrown around that people got comfortable in Florida because they got paid and they were like, well, it's Florida. Nobody cares anyway. Yeah. Um, less likely to happen in a Canadian market, I think, because you're going to have uh, pressures beyond and motivations beyond just, you know, money, mm-hmm. right? Um, but there is that concern sometimes when you lock up players to long-term contracts when they're young. Like Tim Stutzla is rich now, right? Yes, like he, he's he, very rich. He's set for life. He's a wealthy young man. Um, even if he were to be bought out, right, and he gets one-third of his contract or whatever the formula is, he's a rich guy. He's comfortable. A lot of these guys are. Brady Kachuk is comfortable. Josh Norris is comfortable. I went over the entire list of all the guys that Ottawa's locked up. I think the bets are good ones. Mm-hmm. I think Ottawa, if they can continue to fill out the roster beyond this core, if they can fill out the defense, and that's a big if. We all know how hard it is to uh, fix defense, but they should have cap space going forward to do that. Mm -hmm. They're going to need to figure out their goaltending too. Um, But people are excited in Ottawa, and we'll talk to Ian Mendez about that in about 10 minutes. They figured out their goaltending, albeit maybe temporarily with Cam Talbot, but that was one of the reasons. Very temporarily. Yeah, but that I mean, for this season, we kind of ran the gamut of the teams in that division. There's really no reason why Ottawa shouldn't be able to make a push this year. When you if you if you're gonna go on the theory that Boston might take a step back, I think Ottawa could go into this season with like a why not us yeah. mentality to try and get into that echelon and try and be a playoff contender. Mm-hmm. We'll just have to see if it plays out. Speaking of that division, uh real quick, the, the Montreal story as it emerges. So they signed Kirby Doc to a four year extension. That was sort of assumed business after they traded for Doc at the draft from Chicago. Everyone knew that he was going to be part of their team moving forward. So they gave him a four-year deal at $13.5 million. Uh, the more interesting part is that they officially put Carey Price on LTIR and then this morning signed uh, one of their backup goalies, Caden Primo, to a three-year deal. So, I mean, I, I, we are looking at a road now where we don't see Carey Price ever play hockey again because yeah. they are anticipating that he is going to miss the remainder of this season. The, the bright side, I suppose if you can call it that, is they now get $10.5 million in cap relief where they can do some things with that. But the reality of it is also that they just lost the centerpiece of their team for the better part of a decade. And that's going to be really interesting moving forward. Is it kind of interesting that we're going to see all these goalies, reti- these great goalies like Lundqvist and Luongo and Carey Price retire without winning Stanley Cups? Yeah. I mean, Price got the close, well, most recently, sorry. I mean, they all made it to the finals. Game. Yeah. Um, they all it, made it to the finals. Yeah, and Lundqvist had a, a, a few kicks at it with those really good Rangers teams. Mm-hmm. I, it is interesting because um, oftentimes when you're talking about a goalie's resume with regards to the Hall of Fame, 
the Stanley Cups come first and foremost. I mean, it's what got Chris Osgood even into the conversation, into the right? Conversation, yeah. Right? Regular season Chris Osgood ain't getting a call to the Hall of Fame, but he's got multiple cups. It is, it, I mean, one, uh, the, the common refrain is, it's so hard to win a Stanley Cup, but it is, right? It's, yeah. it's, it's, it's remarkably difficult. And it's harder than win. it ever was with all the teams. Yeah, I think the other thing, too, is you could also make the argument that all these guys were going for the same trophy at the same time, right? They were all overlapping in their careers, and only one of them they was going to They all failed. Win. Right, they were all miserable failures, right? But consolation prize, you can make the Hockey Hall of Fame. Another interesting thing that kind of got my mind grapes going with Carey Price probably being done is the Canadian goaltending situation moving forward because we're going to have the World Cup of Hockey in 2024. And it was... It's it was terrifying thinking about it. It is a little bit because I, I mean, it's, it's kind of a weird time where you don't really have a mantle holder and you could make the argument that the best Canadian goalie still might be Marc-Andre Fleury, right? Yikes. I I don't... <laughs> Basketball Ben, intern Ben, just gave me the e emoji face. There, Not that one. a good look. Well, it's but it's the reality of the situation. There was always going to be a gap. You just assumed that there would be a young guy that would elevate to kind of take the reins. Because there's always kind of been a... Harder heart. Right. I thought it would be him, but oh, it's well, not him. Everyone thought it him. See, that's the thing, is he's a legit conversation guy, right? Like, you have to have that conversation he's about him. He's probably on the roster. Yeah, well, he's in the mix because there's just not the guy. There's always been that sort of clear-cut definitive number one, and when there wasn't, it's because there was two guys fighting for it, like when Luongo <laughs> and Broder. We, we got a year year and a bit to solve this? It, <laughs> come no, on, Canada, not, let's it, go, yeah, let's it, go. No, 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 I'm serious. I like, know. Come Can on, ask Luongo again, be like, hey, what are you doing? He, you he, just, he's not uh, doing much. You want right? to hang out for a few weeks and uh, help us out here? But, I mean, I mean, I've gone through the list, and it is not exactly a murderer's row. You just kind of assume that the team is going to be so good in front of whatever goalie's there that it won't be a big problem. The problem is the Americans are going to be such a good roster, and they're going to have the goalies. The Americans are stacked in that. Yeah. They're going to leave a good goalie behind. Mm -hmm. Maybe Canada will. will be like, can we take that guy? Could we convince Demko to get his Canadian citizenship? And that, would be a, that, yeah. that would be interesting. I'm a big fan of that. Do, do the Brett Hall. I'm a big proponent of stealing. The opposite. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Come on, you live here. You like us. <laughs> okay. Uh, let's, what do we want to do here? Do we want to cram in one more thing before we go to break and talk to Ian Mendez? I did kind of want to get into the Canada booking a game with Japan ahead of the World Cup because yeah. I find that really interesting, but it no, might not be the... that. Yeah. Okay, so uh, Canada's road to the World Cup in Qatar is now pretty much set. They are going to play a game a week ahead of their first game in, in the World Cup against Belgium. So a week prior to playing Belgium to open the World Cup, they are going to take on Japan in Dubai on November 17th. Well, it's a good idea because they're playing Qatar and Uruguay um, in September, so later this month. And those ones are in Vienna and Bratislava, I think it's Slovakia, if I'm not mistaken. So they're going to go from Europe and then they're going to sure. go down to, uh, to Dubai and Qatar. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Uh, thank you very much yes. for that. Yes. Uh, but then they're going to have like a two-month break without playing a match as a squad. Yep. So they wanted to book this match with Japan. Uh, Japan is obviously going to the World Cup. It's quality side. I believe a top 25 team in the world. 24. Um, so it's good for it. Like this, this is the ramp up. This is the ramp up for the World Cup. And as Canadians, we're not really used to this. Mm -hmm. We don't know how this all works. Um, but Belgium is going to be their first match in the World Cup, November 23rd. Uh, Belgium is probably going to be their toughest match at the World Cup. Not probably, definitely. Like, that is the toughest team that they're going to play. Um, 
if they can get a result against Belgium, great. I don't expect it. I expect Belgium to win that one. Uh, the key ones will be against Croatia and Morocco. They will have to beat Morocco, I think, and get at least a draw with mm-hmm. Croatia. Yep. Apparently, and I haven't worked out the math on this, but if the two countries were somehow to advance from the group stage, there is a potential round of 16 match where Canada could actually face Japan. So it would be interesting. Oh, that's if, interesting. Yeah, yeah, it'd be interesting if that played out as well. The the two friendlies that they've got against Uruguay and Japan are great tests because one, uh, Canada's never played. I, I think Canada hasn't played a South American or um, Asian club team or sorry, Asian country in, in like six or seven years. So getting well, out we, of we, the we, Concacaf yeah. opponents and playing some more, for lack of a better term, worldly opponents is going to give you a better sense of style and the quality of the teams that are coming into the World Cup. Well, a lot of the quality teams in the world haven't been really particularly interested in playing Canada. Yeah, they've circled right? them and they're like, that's an easy dub. It's like when Alabama takes on Texas Tech and AM. The- Canada would always get friendlies like, we got Northern Ireland again, right? And that was a good test. It yeah. would usually be nil-nil or one-nil, but I, I am gonna be <laughs> I'm gonna be really interested in seeing these in later. Also because um, these two squads have really talented players at the club level. Like you're talking about Uruguay, Darwin Nunez, who's the big signing for Liverpool right now. Uh, you talk about they're playing well. That's a disaster right now. <laughs> we'll get to that later <laughs> on in the show re- as well. They've replaced Manchester United in the, the the panic rankings. Oh yeah, absolutely. And you know it's funny that one German manager in the in the Premier League got sacked this week, and there's already talk that it won't happen. But there's already talk that another might happen with Klopp. But anyway. We're getting in a very big picture soccer story here, but the major story is is that Canada will take on Japan a week out of the World Cup. So the schedule's set. I like what they've done, and I've been keeping tabs on a lot of the guys currently playing abroad, and there have been kind of up-and-down performances, but the one guy that's broken out in a huge way is Stefan Eustachio, mm-hmm. who has turned into like an engine room guy for Porto. He played yesterday in Champions League and apparently Bit of a crazy all, finish in that. Match. Yeah, which was nuts. And by all accounts, he was like I didn't watch the match. I was mm-hmm. watching the other ones, but by all accounts, he was everywhere. And he's kind of solidified a spot, which is huge for a Canadian guy playing in for Porto in Champions League, one of the premier clubs in Europe. Really, Porto is, and I think that's going to be awesome moving forward. Uh, you're listening to the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. We're going to talk to Ian Mendez coming up next, talking about what the Ottawa Senators have done and what they could do going forward. On a Thursday. Happy Thursday, everybody. Halford Bruff, Sportsnet 650. Halford Bruff of the Morning is brought to you by Avenue Machinery. Build your company to win with Kubota from Avenue Machinery. We are also brought to you by the Delari family of Acura dealers. Three dealerships to serve you better North Shore Acura, Acura of Langley, and Burrard Acura on Terminal Avenue. Is Ian ready to go? To the phone lines we go. Happy to be joined by our next guest. You read his work in The Athletic on the Ottawa Senators. It is Ian Mendez here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Good morning, Ian. How are you? Hey, good morning, guys. How are you? Uh, we're good, thanks. Thanks for taking the time to join us at the end of the Summer of Dorian. What a summer for the Ottawa Senators and Pierre Dorian. 
Uh, I made the joke earlier that if you are a young hockey player brimming with potential, go to Ottawa and get paid because that's what they did this summer. The latest one being Tim Stutzle. Eight years, $66.8 million. Um, on the surprise scale, where were you with this deal with regards to the timing and the amount of money given to a guy like Stutzle, who's only 20 years old but does have a lot of promise? Yeah, so listen, I'll, I'll give your, you and the listeners a little bit of a background that, that I think will kind of paint the picture of how this all unfolded. So yesterday, uh, Wednesday, the Senators had a season, kind of like a splashy season launch event where they, you know, their president of business operations, Anthony LeBlanc, kind of gave us a rundown of you know, where things are at from a business standpoint. And they introduced Chris Phillips back into the fold. And Alex DeBrinkett was there to meet with the media in person for the first time. So it was just kind of like, a, hey, we're going to kick things off. And, and here's where things are at. And as that session was wrapping up, they were like, oh, by the way, there's, it looks like there's going to be one more thing. Just sit tight. And we're like, no. Not, I, I actually thought maybe Claude Giroux was going to come out. They announced he's an alternate captain or something like that. And all of a sudden, Tim Stutzla sits on the, 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 the chair next to Pierre Dorian in front of everybody. And we're like, what the heck? This is this is weird. And then Pierre Dorian kind of just casually asked Tim, hey, what do you think about staying here for another eight years? And Tim's like, let's do it. And it's like, what? what? Uh, so it was, it was, what was neat about that was, you know, oftentimes when these stories break and you think about anybody signing a contract these days, usually there's leaks or, you know, something happens and you're like, oh, I heard that they were close. There was nothing here that suggested that this was imminent. Um, you know, I think we all assumed they were talking, uh, but that's how certainly how it kind of played out was like literally it, they just popped up in front of us and said, oh, by the way, we got an eight-year eight deal in the richest one in franchise history. As for the dollar amount, I think this is interesting because I think if you're in the Ottawa market, you're like, hey, that's a great deal for Tim Stutzler. Like this guy is you know, potentially going to be a superstar and you're locking him up in, into some UFA years. You don't have to go through the the whole thing. And I, I, I'm sure a lot of Vancouver fans are thinking like, damn, I wish, you know, that's what Elias P, uh, Pedersen signed for. Like that, that's the type of, you know, deal that, that Tim Stutzler got. And I think outside of Ottawa though, there's a lot of people like, Ooh, that's a lot of money to pay for a guy that hasn't really done much. And I, I think it's interesting, but a week ago I did an exercise trying to project some contracts for Ottawa. And I said, look at the first two years of Leon Dreisaitl in the NHL. Look at the first two years of Tim Stutzla in the NHL. They're pretty darn close to each other. Like, in fact, Stutzla produced at a higher rate, uh, more points per game, more goals per game, better shooting percentage, all these things. They were both taken third overall. I was thinking that dry sidle deal is exactly what I would be looking for if I was the Stutzla camp, which was 8.5. That's pretty much what he got, 8.3. You know, it's going to be an interesting situation. Anytime you sign up, uh, somebody who only has two years under their belt, and one of those years was a truncated 56-game season. Uh, you're not dealing with a ton of sample size, so there's an element of risk here for sure. But if this pays off the way that Ottawa thinks it could pay off, and I think a lot of fans think it could pay off, if the cap goes up, this is going to look like a great deal for Ottawa if Tim Stutzla comes close to his ceiling. I'm glad you brought up the dry settle contract because that's a, we were kind of kind of looking at comps around the league historically about making a bet at a relatively young age on a guy for this amount of term. And I actually remember uh, it was the last ever thing I wrote when we were at Pro Hockey Talk at NBC was on that dry saddle contract. And at the time, I distinctly remember everybody saying, wow, that's a lot of money for a guy that, as you said, hasn't done a ton in the NHL. And then within two years, that became a great value contract for Edmonton. So I understand that that's the idea here for the Sens. Uh, I suppose the other idea here for the Sens is all these young guys that they've invested draft capital 
and development in, they're getting long-term deals. I believe the Sens are the only team that has a guy signed into 2031. That's yeah. that's Stutzley, but they've also got Kachuk signed until 2028, Josh Norris signed until 2030, and Thomas Shabbat signed until 2028. So I know no contract is immovable, but it seems like come hell or high water, these are the guys that the Sens are rolling with for quite some time moving forward. Yeah, and it's a refreshing change for the fan base here, right? After, I mean, I don't know how many times I've joined uh, the two of you in various iterations of your show over the years, and we've had these conversations of, wow, another messy departure from Ottawa, right? Like, yeah. uh, that, the Senators were kind of known for that, right? Whether And it depends how far back you want to draw the line. You, you, people want to draw it back to Alexi Yashin or Danny Heatley. That's fine. You can go to, you know... Eric Carlson, Daniel Alfredson, uh, you know, Mark Stone, Jason Spezza. There's just been a whole bunch of elite-level players that have left Ottawa under less-than-ideal circumstances. And the feeling from the fan base was, I don't really feel like I can fall in love with my, you know, the players on my team because I feel like they're going to be gone. It's a, it's, a, it's a revolving door. And that feeling has completely evaporated now over the, 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 the course of the last we'll call it eight months, 12 months, starting with the Brady Kachuk contract that uh, they got done last fall. And then, you know, they get Josh Norris done. And, uh, you know, as you mentioned, Shabbat's already under contract. Now you got Timmy Stutzler until the year 2031. Like, this is huge. Like, you've identified your core. And I think what's important, too, is, and again, this is all predicated on these guys hitting their ceilings, but nobody's cap hit is north of Tim Stutzler at 8.3. And I think that's pretty good. Like, if you feel like, you can ice a competitive team and a, you know, a team that's going to consistently be a playoff team and then ideally push for a Stanley Cup, and you don't have any of those sort of um, big $9.5, million contracts that can sometimes weigh you down, that's a huge benefit. And I, and I think, you know, I, I, you know, we chatted with Tim Stutzel, we chatted with Pierre Dorian, I, I chatted a little bit yesterday night, too, with, uh, with Tim's agent, uh, Ben Hankinson, out of uh, Minnesota. And the message came back from all three of them was pretty consistent, that, you know, Tim believes in this group. The group all believes in each other, and they, they all believe, like, hey, yeah, maybe some of us left a little money on the table. Like, we get that, but we just enjoy playing with each other. And if there's a way to make this work for everybody, we're all in. And I think for an Ottawa fan, it's pretty exciting because, again, you've watched so many players leave. Now you've got, like, go ahead and pick. You want to buy a Stutzler jersey, a Norris jersey, a Kachuk jersey, Batherson, Shabbat. Like, go ahead. Like, they're not going anywhere. Uh, for a number of years, and I think that's a pretty exciting thing here in Ottawa. Does Tim Stutzla is he is is the plan for him to be a center? Like, is he, I know I know he's listed as as a winger and a center. Josh Norris is going to be a center, but you know I, I'm just trying to look at their lineup and, and and see what it's going to be down the middle because I know Claude Giroux has at least the potential to play center. Um, uh, Brady Kachuk took a bunch of faceoffs last year. What is, what does the top six look like in Ottawa next year? Yeah, and we're getting into hockey pool season, aren't we? Like, like a couple of weeks away from <laughs> from people probably wanting to start drafting their pools and thinking about these little things. This is going to be a great situation, in Ottawa. In fact, I'm curious to see how the the first unit power play looks because you have a top six uh, that's all probably deserving of playing first unit power play minutes and Thomas Shabbat. So that's seven seven guys for five spots. But in terms of how it's going to look to start, the first line is going to be Josh Norris with Brady Kachuk and. Uh, Drake Batherson, or you know, call it line one or one A, whatever. And then the other line is going to be Tim Stutzla in the middle, with Alex DeBrincat on the left and Claude Giroux on the right. And 
Tim Stutza now is a centerman in the NHL. And, and yeah. maybe NHL.com and those places list him as a winger because that's kind of where he started last year. But I think their plan was always to move him to center at some point. I think they felt like, ah, man, his rookie year, if you remember, that was the, 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 the all-Canadian year. And I think they were worried. Kid just turned, like he was 18, turning 19 at the start of the year. Their concern was, man, if we put him at center, and, you know, every night it's only up against Canadian opponents. And it's like, oh, man, you got a Austin Matthews and John Tavares and then McDavid and Dreisaitl and, you know, whoever else you want to put into that, that list, or, you know, Bo Horvat or whoever. Like, he was going to get cleaned out in the faceoff circle. Like, his, his, um, uh, his confidence wouldn't be great. So they started him at wing. And then last year they had injuries to Colin White and Shane Pinto. And it, did, it was really out of necessity that they, they probably accelerated the plan. And he thrived. He had 31 points in his last 30 games last year. Um, and that wasn't playing with elite talent like he's going to have with Alex Debrinkett and, and Claude Drew. So there, there's a ton of optimism here. Um, I, like, like I said, 31 points in 30 games. I don't know if he can replicate a point-per-game pace over 82 games. Like That might be a little much to ask for this year, but like I don't think it's out of the realm that he's a – 65, 70-point guy maybe this season playing with those guys. And there's, uh, there's a great debate to be had in Ottawa. Like, who's going to end up leading this team in scoring? Because I think there's probably four, maybe five candidates who could, uh, who could be on that list. I imagine uh, they'll want to make Alex Dabrinkit as comfortable as possible in Ottawa so that he, too, could sign a long-term contract at some point. Yeah, and, you know, we asked uh, Alex Dabrinkit yesterday. Uh, I had a chance, like I said, he kind of came out to this splashy event would and everything got pushed into the, the the back burner once the suits the news came out but you know i asked to bring it where are you at with a you know contract and this was ahead of uh, the suits news but you know his thought was uh look i just got here and i i think we need to see if this works for everybody does it work for me does it work for the the, uh, the team uh so i think there's going to be a real wait and see approach now the brink gets an interesting situation because He's going into the last year of his, uh, his deal. His cap hit is 6.4, but the real dollars is $9 million, meaning uh, next year when he enters his final year of being an RFA, the minimum qualifying offer, if he wants to just play this out, would be a one-year $9 million deal. So this is going to become an interesting situation in Ottawa. Uh, I think if they can create an environment where he wants to stay and he's successful and he has fun and uh, he's, you know, kind of scoring 40 goals. You know, I, I think there's a, there's an avenue. There's a, there's a path to him signing here, but we also have to say to ourselves, well, man, if he scores 40 goals again and he's kind of staring at some yeah. prime unrestricted years, <laughs> are we looking at nine and a half million or like what, mm-hmm. what's the number we're looking at for a bona fide 40 goal guy? So it's going to be kind of a bit of a double-edged sword in that if he thrives here, uh, you know, the price is only going to go up. But if he doesn't thrive, he might want to leave. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. it's, 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 yeah, it's, it's going to be really interesting to watch it uh, play itself out this, uh, this season. Uh, do the Sens, what, handicap the Sens' chances of actually making the playoffs this season? You know what, I'll put it, and, and this is not me being uh, on the fence, it's going to sound like a very on the fence answer, but I'll say 50-50. And, and, I say that because if you had asked me last season or any of the previous four seasons, I would have said, give me a 5% chance. Like, you, you never say never, right? Like, you never know that they can get lightning in a bottle. We've seen some, some magic carpet rides here, like the Hamburglar run. So I, I'm always open to crazy things happening. 
the last few years, I would have said, you know, give them a 5% chance. This year, I think it's a 50% chance. And I think their biggest issue uh, will be who are they knocking out of a playoff spot in the, uh, in the Atlantic division. And, and in particular, I don't, I don't think, and maybe you guys correct me if I'm wrong. I don't think Tampa's going anywhere. I don't think Toronto's going anywhere. I know Florida underwent some significant changes. I still think they're talented enough. They won the president's trophy last year. Like I don't, I don't think they're going anywhere. Boston is the only team that I look at and I say, maybe they're, maybe they're vulnerable, but I feel like we've been saying that about Boston, Washington, and Pittsburgh for the better part of seven years. And until that happens, <laughs> yeah. until we see some regression from yeah. them, I, I'm hesitant to say it. So Ottawa not only has to take, look, they missed the playoffs, I think, by 29 points last year. Like, whatever it was, they missed it by like 30 points. Yeah, they weren't close. So, no, they weren't close. So we got to be understanding that, okay, like, great, maybe you do make a 20 point, 25 point improvement. But that also if you want to make the playoffs, that means somebody else has to take a step back. And, you know, the Rangers look like a pretty good group that's not going anywhere. Carolina looks like a pretty good team that's not going anywhere. Like, when you start going down the list of the eight teams that made the playoffs last year in the East, you're like, nah, I guess maybe it's, it's down to Boston, Pittsburgh, Washington. But it's like, we've been saying that for five or six years. So um, I, I put it at 50%, which I feel like it's an accurate number because they're going to need some help uh, to, to, to qualify for the playoffs. We broke it down in almost an identical fashion where it was the we figured the top three in the division remain the top three. Like the Kings stay the Kings, the the the, the Leafs, the Panthers, and the Lightning. And then if, if the goal is to try and be the fourth best team in the division, it seems more than possible for Ottawa to overtake Boston. And then at that point you're saying, yeah, like maybe the playoffs are a possibility because I do think Boston's due for a regression. We're speaking to Ian Mendez from The Athletic here on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. Um, Ian, big picture from the organization top down, what have been some of the differences in approach, stylistically, anything with regards to the Ottawa Senators since Eugene Melnick's daughters took over uh, in an ownership position? Well, I think you're seeing it, right? Like, I think you're seeing um, the fact that whatever, whatever restraints were on payroll have been lifted or at least it feels like it right like i think sitting in your advantage uh, from your vantage point when you you're not inside this market you all of a sudden you're like wow boy it feels like the ottawa senators aren't acting like the ottawa senators right like they're they're signing their young guys they're they're being aggressive they're trading for alex to bring cat they're they're eating some money on things like you know they they, they eating some money on matt murray and um so I, I think they are spending and acting differently that's that's number one i think they're trying to reconnect with the fan base here. And, and like I said, I, I've been on your show so many times over the years talking about an absolute disconnect between the organization and the community, like a, like a complete disconnect. And, um, you know, it's, it, it was um, you know, probably best exemplified when you see people, good people like Daniel Alfredson, Chris Phillips, walking away from the organization saying, I, I can't do this. I can't, I can't be a part of this. And yesterday, Chris Phillips was right back in there and they announced, Hey, he's, he's coming in as, and I think his, his role is the like senior VP of business operations. And his job is to basically go back and restore some busted relationships in this community. And um, that's huge. Like there, there was a trail of broken relationships from the media to, uh, to business partners, to season ticket holders, to politicians, to you name it. Like this thing was destroyed beyond you know, recognition for a lot of people. And so that to me is the biggest change. You see a, a real 
honest, genuine effort from the organization to own up to some of the misgivings and shortfalls of the last five or six years, say, you know what, this is on us. These broken relationships, it's not on you. It's me. And so it's, uh, it's going to be interesting to see how quickly people buy back into it. But you get a, a Chris Phillips back into the fold, I think that certainly lends um, kind of a layer of credibility to what you're trying to reestablish in the marketplace. Ian, I'm wondering if you've had any good chats with Anthony LeBlanc. He's now the uh, the is he the pre- he's the president of the yeah, of the Ottawa Senators yeah. now. Um, he's an interesting character in that um, he's going to be you know leading the the charge to to build a new arena in Ottawa. He's already done that with Arizona. It didn't go well. He's tried to build a stadium uh, for a CFL expansion team in Halifax. Um, I, I'm not saying like he's not going to be able to get it done because he wasn't able to get it done in Arizona and, and Halifax. But it is interesting, I find, that he is in this position again. Third time's a charm, right? Like That, that has to be the... Uh, don't we all wish we had three chances to build a stadium uh, in our lifetime? Our yeah, lifetime? Yes. Uh, yeah, just yeah, for me to skate in. It would be yeah. fun. Yeah, exactly. So it's, it's a great point, right? And um, you know, he, he talked about the new arena yesterday uh, at great length and said, you know, just at the end of last season, or I think in the, in the summertime, uh, he flew to Seattle, he flew to Edmonton with a group uh, from Ottawa, including uh, some politicians or people that are involved in kind of uh, that side of the fence to tour these arenas, Climate Pledge, uh, Rogers uh, Arena in, uh, in Edmonton. Um, they're feeling like they're moving the process along. Now, what I think is interesting is we still have to, the next date on the calendar to pay attention to isn't for another, it's like another 14 months from now. Like, you're not going to hear anything about Ottawa's new arena for another 12 to 14 months. The next deadline is the fall of 2023 when they have to have, uh, you know, proven that they have the exact specs for the arena and more importantly, the financing in place for that, like that's, that's going to be the true test, like 12 months from now, 14 months from now. But we're further along in the process than we ever have been, but we're also smart enough to know that there's a lot of obstacles ahead. And this is, this, if, if there's a 10, 10 steps to build an arena, they've only probably cleared you know, step one and, and still have eight or nine to go. So there's a, lot to, um, there's a lot to take in here in Ottawa. But again, the feeling is it's, it's totally different. And, and the, the, the previous regime destroyed the relationship with business partners in this community, politicians in this community. That's all gone. That's in the rearview mirror. And now the feeling is, okay, well, now we can all work together and, and there's more optimism that this can get done. Ian, this was great, man. Thanks a lot for taking the time to do this. We really appreciate it. Uh, enjoy the next few weeks. I'm sure we'll be doing this when the regular season gets underway. Yeah, you bet you guys. Anytime for you. Thanks. Appreciate it, bud. That's Ian Mendez from The Athletic in Ottawa here on the Halford and Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650. We've been trying to chase Anthony LeBlanc just because I think he's an interesting character that maybe some people don't know about, but his time in Arizona, a lot of it was just spent trying to get that new arena built. Yep. And he admitted that he made some mistakes in that he he kind of got Coyotes fans' hopes up too much. Like he's like they 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 almost made announcements before they should have. Yeah, that's fair. That's and, a fair way of classifying it. And you know, like oh, and, and so it was this. So that added to the roller coaster, right? Mm-hmm. Because when you make these announcements, like we think we got something done, and then it falls apart, um, and. 
and the Coyotes are still in the position, right? Yep. Did you see that report uh, that came out yesterday? Um, I don't even think it was a report. It was just Greg Wyshynski uh, passing along what the Coyotes were saying about their revenues actually going up this season. At Mullet Arena. At Mullet Arena. Yeah. Even though the capacity is going to be capped at, I don't know, 5,000 or 4,500. You know, it's a college arena. Or if you want to talk uh, Canada, it's a major junior hockey arena, mm-hmm. essentially. Um, but the ticket prices are going to be so high. $170 average ticket. Average ticket price of $170. And which the NHL is average is 154 Something, yeah, something yeah. along those lines. Um, but I, you know, listen, you can, you can spin that either way. You can be like, good for them. Right. Or you can say, wow, how low were revenues in Glendale? Well, I think it's probably the latter that I would focus on because it is the house of negativity here. It's yeah. 650, but you do have to wonder how little, I mean, I saw some of those crowds first off yeah. in Glendale and there was nowhere, the, the listed attendance number was never anywhere near who was actually in attendance. And you also wonder how many of those tickets were complimentary tickets sure you know just given out yeah buy a case of bud light get two tickets to the coyotes game i guarantee you that was some <laughs> sort of promotion they have i i'm not, I'm not people in arizona are like well i'll take the bud light but yeah. just give the tickets to somebody else the next guy in line you're paying it forward although not really yeah. paying it forward uh we've got a lot more to get to on the halford and bruff show on sportsnet 650 coming up in the next hour we are going to get fired up for the start of the nfl season mike shope from wgr in buffalo is going to join us in our adult lifetime, there is I don't think there's ever been this much hype and this much excitement about the start of a Buffalo Bills football season. While we have talked at length about the great teams of the early 90s and the four Super Bowl defeats and the four falls of Buffalo, the Bills, again, for most of our adult lives, have been not good. Not good at all. Some yeah. really bad teams. But now, in light of the emergence of Josh Allen and that terrific offense, and then what they did last year, they go into a season for the first time since the 90s as the betting favorite for the Super Bowl. And there are real Super Bowl aspirations so that the Bills can finally get over that hump and win the first Super Bowl in in, a, in their um, franchise history. Everything begins tonight, 520 kickoff, the opening of the NFL season. It's the Rams and the Bills. Mike Shope from WGR in Buffalo is going to join us next to discuss those Bills. That's coming up next on the Halford & Bruff Show on Sportsnet 650.